If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome back to the latest edition of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a guy in sports talks to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like that's just not sports. I am your host, Brad Burke. I am a sports marketer in Chicago. And welcome back. Enjoying the feedback from our last few shows, Bob Stoops, Chuck Klosterman, Hannah Kaiser, just lots of, uh, you know, lots of great discussions, lots of great people coming on the pod with different topics. And today we are welcoming back a guest who is near and dear to my heart and someone who probably has no idea that he's near and dear to my heart. That is Shay Serrano. Fun behind the scenes peek at what it's like to start a podcast. When you start a podcast and you try to go get guests for said podcast, you have nothing (laughs) to offer them in terms of assurances. There's no Googleable trace. Like maybe you've put up your website, maybe you haven't. Maybe you've teased out the podcast. But honestly, we we wanted to tape multiple episodes uh, out so we could start to put them up on a weekly basis or or near there. Um, And it, it requires someone to just take a flyer on you. (laughs) And our first guest ever was Chad Brown, the former NFL linebacker. We knew Chad was super into snakes. We gave him a hard push. We want to be the only show that talks to you about snakes. And he was like, okay, I'll take a chance on this. (laughs) And at worst, no one will listen to it. And we also went out that first, very first week we were going to go live. We went out to Shea Serrano. Shea was out with a new book, the Rap Year book. And we said, come on the show. We'll talk to you about the book, but we also want to break down the history of athletes doing rap. And Shay was like, you know what? Sure. I'll come on your podcast. I'll break down this bizarro subject with you. And I got to be honest, to this day, one of our most listened to podcasts of all time. And I've always been super appreciative for Shay. I mean, that was a week back then when he was going on to the New York Times bestseller list for the first time. The guy had been on an intense media tour. He had done so many high-profile interviews. The last thing you want when you're just running interview after interview after interview back, uh, hour after hour, which, um, trust me, I've, I've booked these types of schedules for the biggest names in sports. It is tiring and silly and exhausting and just so repetitive. It's Groundhog Day every hour of the day. And for Shay to just take a chance on a startup podcast from nowhere was really meaningful. And we've always had a soft spot for him ever since. Been big fans, following his career, and very excited for where he's going next. He's got a new book out, Movies and Other Things. I've read it. It's amazing. Go check it out. Awesome illustrations. 30, I believe. Really probing, funny, irreverent essays about different things in movies. From the ultimate heist, uh, uh, the ultimate bank heist all-star team to in the school filled with all the craziest characters from teen movies, who would sit at Regina George's table at the head of the cafeteria. Um, just really fun stuff that I think if you're a fan of Shay or you're a fan of movies, go check it out, go buy the book, enjoy it. So we're going to break down his opinion, some of the hotter takes in the book, some things outside the book that I just wanted to throw at him. You know, what would he do if he got to take over the Fast and Furious franchise? 
Um, which Michael Myers Halloween sequels can he defend? You know, good stuff like that. That if you're a fan of Shay, I think you're really going to enjoy. And after the interview, stick around. Speaking of Michael Myers, over the years, I have given you my power rankings of Freddy movies, Jason movies, Pinhead movies. It's finally time to break down the Halloween series. That's the distraction after the interview. But right now, here is Shay. When the drama comes, gunshots go. Never been a dope boy, but I got a dope flow. Straight to your brain, how my fans feeling? Oh, okay, you know me for balling and making jump shots, but I be moving the crowd like a honey gunshots. Virginia's my state, Norfolk's my city, so no was the murder capital. Corinth is busy, youngest. Keep thunder like Kevin Durant. You would not remember this. You were at, we we've gone out gone 160 episodes or something like that, but you were episode number two of this show. You taped with us even before we. We had gone live. We always have been very appreciative of that. It was right when Rap Yearbook came out, so we talked about athletes who rapped. So before we get into movies, I have to ask you, who do you think won the Dame Lillard-Shaquille O'Neal rap battle? Because i got to be honest, it was kind of like I was a kid who was watching my parents fight from the staircase, you know? Like, just just kind of sat all around in my corner. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think I was no Shaq. I think Shaq is just a, a slightly better rapper, which is like a funny thing to say, but I don't know. I still think he's the best basketball rapper of all time. And uh, even though he's like an older guy and it was very much like, here's your dad rapping at the backyard birthday party sort of vibe. Um, <laughs> I got, I got, I'm, I'm a Shaq loyalist on, on this front. D, uh, Dame is, Dame is great. Dame is probably like the most talented right now. Um, but you know, I'm I'm an old guy. I'm gonna I'm gonna team up with the old guy on this one. You'll appreciate that. Like every few months, I put out a call for Dana Barrows to come on this show and talk rap. He never has never taken me up on it. But one day, Shay. Dana, you need Dana. You need a roundtable of Dana, Cedric Sabalo. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, and and Shaq and Damian and and like a. Iman Shumper can call in, but he don't get to be at the like the whole <laughs> yeah, thing. He's, uh, he's yeah, he has to he has to Skype in if we can get the the line to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, look, I I really enjoyed the book. I mean, I, I like all your books, but um, it, it's funny because going into this one and having heard you on things like the rewatchables and and whatnot. I mean, the one thing that is so clear as I'm turning pages is that your passion and just positivity and love for movies just rings true on on damn near every page. How how are in an age where we're kind of inundated with negative takes, hot takes, cynicism, spoilers, all this stuff, how do you just kind of stay so enthusiastic about uh film the way you do? Uh I think that's a byproduct of me just uh writing about the stuff that I like or talking about the stuff that I like. Very rarely do I spend any time with the things that I don't like. Um, it happens every once in a while. Like I, like I pitched a story to write about the new Rambo movie because oh. I thought it was going to be cool. And then I went and saw it and it wasn't cool, but I had to still turn something in. Like that's usually how I end up writing about something I don't right. like. But for the most part, I'm just like celebrating stuff. And, uh, you know, if you're talking about a thing you like, it's easy to sound like you're talking about a thing you like. You have a great chapter about your kids take on the MCU. Um, and I am curious how, you know, as someone who is a six-year-old and, a, and a almost three-year-old, and I'm, I'm starting to watch things with them, how has 
watching with your family? Because you talk about doing a family movie night every night. How has that sort of changed the way you look at at, at films? And, and what kind of role do, do do your children have on on your perspectives? Well, yeah. So we do the we do Friday family movie night every Friday, and it's a it's a thing we look forward to. Laramie and I look forward to it less because of the movie and more because of the uh, I guess like the tradition involved. At this point, we've been doing it for for years. Um, movies are just a way to like. It's an easy excuse to get everybody to like lay on the couch together and watch a thing and just like, you know, this is all we're going to do. Nobody's going to be on their phone. Nobody's going to really do anything else except pay attention to this movie. And a couple of y'all will probably fall asleep. And it's like really cute when that happens. And uh, like, I don't know, it just, you know, it, it becomes a part of your, of your life. Ours has become a big part of it in, in that way, especially. Um, so when I was working on the chapter, like that was the point I was trying to, to make there is just, you know, the Marvel movies seem like a good way to talk about the way we had as a family lit movies into, into our lives. Uh, you know, the boys and I've been going for, for a good little while. Um, that's really all that was just, just a, just a, just a hug across the pages. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, my six year old daughter and I, watch more stuff together now and uh i it's funny i, I was telling someone like I, I ride or die for like the hotel transylvania movies inexplicably just because she yeah. she likes them and, and i've so i've grown to like them i was wondering if there, is there something totally random that your kids have turned you on to that your friends find indefensible but you're like you don't get it man you just don't, you don't understand until you're a parent there's a movie it's on, it was, i don't know if it's still on netflix it probably is it's called monkey up two <laughs> monkey words up. monkey and then the word up and it's about a a monkey who's an actor who ta- he can talk and the humans can hear him. And it's like a thing. And, uh, and so, so we do like a rotating pick each week. You know, you pick last week, your brother picks this week. I picked it, whatever. And the baby always picks the movie like monkey up. He just goes straight to Netflix kids. And it's like looking for something that seems silly. And, uh, we watched that one and it's really, really bad, but he was just having the time of his life. And so I will, I would never watch monkey up again. I certainly would never watch it by myself. But when I think about that movie, it does make me happy. Like I recommend that movie to other parents. Like, Oh, you got to check out monkey up. This monkey is bananas, brother. (laughs) All right. That's going in my queue. Uh, for sure. Okay. A couple of specific questions on some of the chapters. Cause I, my favorite chapter, I guess it's kind of like a one, one a situation, but I, I really, really, warmed up to the Michael Myers press conference, uh, which I thought mm-hmm. was an ingenious thing. And I was wondering, as you sit down, because number one, you are I believe you're a big Michael Myers Halloween fan in general, as am I. Correct. I've heard you talk about it before. And I've heard you say, but like you take some of these kind of more silly kind of concepts very seriously and you want to put a lot of thought into it. So as a fan of the franchise, going into this exercise, what were you thinking when you try to apply a voice and an attitude to the shape someone who is famously devoid of any kind of human instincts like that. Well, so there are two ways that you can handle this or probably more than two ways, but there are two main ways you can handle something like this and you have to be careful. I feel like you have to be careful not to do the wrong one. And in this case, what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to, I didn't want to try to like insert actual words into Michael Myers's mouth or into like the people who created them. I didn't want to like make it seem like they were the ones doing it. I wanted it to be very clear when you read it that this is a silly thing. This is straight up uh, a basketball game press conference. 
Um, so that's that's really what I was what I was angling towards. Because I don't want to be like, I don't know. It's the same reason I I wouldn't write like a fake script of The Office or Scrubs or something. Like I don't want to <laughs> pretend like I know what these people would say in certain situations. So I'm not going to do that version of it. Um, I would do the other version. I would do like the the sort of silly version that lets you talk about the Halloween franchise and like all of the cool parts of it and the influential parts of it without really doing exactly that. Um, that's, that's what I was working on uh, with that one. Every time I heard him speak in your piece, I, I guess I was picturing like a really contentious Westbrook interview. And I'm wondering, you have such a loyal fan base that's always talking to you. Has anyone kind of given you their own take of who they sort of, who they think he resembles in your, in your article? In that chapter? No, but that is a gr- that, that's a great question to ask. I had I had never like thought about placing somebody else in there. Westbrook would be would be perfect. Um, maybe somebody like ten percent more playful than Westbrook. Westbrook can be a little bit nasty sometimes. Yeah. Um, uh, I would I, I think it would. Yeah, I would like somebody a little a little sillier. LeBron might be good. He, you know, he's good for a, a joke or two every once in a while, but. Yeah, that's a funny question to ask. I didn't think about that. Michael Myers also known to be nasty from time to time, so you know maybe <laughs> maybe yeah. go with it. Let me, let me ask you this because you seem like someone who might defend one or two of those Halloween sequels, and I'm just wondering which ones do you think are 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 watchable? Uh, the only one that's not watchable is the one that doesn't have Michael Myers in it. Uh, All of the three. rest of them. Yeah, yeah. The was the season of the witch or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yep. Um, the, yeah, all of the rest of them are fine. Like they're not good. They're certainly not good. And they get, you know, the occult, and it gets all, you know, there's gets connected by by brain spirits with a girl in one of them, like a, <laughs> like a child. Like there's a lot. There's a lot going on, and it's like, all right, I just I just showed up to watch Michael Myers squish somebody's head in his hands or put his thumb through their forehead. Uh, I think the newest one uh, is is the best one, really. That's my that's my favorite one. Uh, I thought they handled it really, really smartly. And all of the other ones, the first one especially, Michael sort of exists in the background and he just pops up every once in a while and here we are. And then in this one, they they let you like ride along with him for a couple of the kills. You're just like there over his shoulder watching him yeah. walk down the street into the into the shed, get the hammer, walk into the back of the house, beat the, the lady's head in, take the knife, passes the baby. Like you're with him. And, and that was really exciting. It felt like when they put a GoPro on a great white shark and you're like, wow, I never, I never had this viewpoint before. Uh, I really, I really, really liked the new one a lot. It was, a, it, was it was a great deal. Of fun. Yeah. It, to me, I, I always hated H2O. Um, if, if for nothing oh, else, oh man, you're crazy. No, you're crazy. You're going to defend H2O. I, I, I'm still angry about Josh Hartnett's perpetual bedhead in that movie. I, Josh Hartnett had bedhead for from 1999 <laughs> to 2003. That's just that was his thing. He had he had bedhead in Pearl Harbor. Like you know, you know, I'm a, I love I love Josh Hartnett. Um, LL Cool J is in that one. He survives the movie. L- rappers do like surprisingly well in the in the Halloween universe. If he survived, Buster Rhymes not only survived but he karate kicked yeah. Michael Myers like. The way that you know, there's like a, they they do that goofy, they do that goofy like here's how you survive a horror movie, and one of them, uh, one of the rules apparently is you just have to just be a rapper. 
<laughs> By the way, speaking of LL Cool J, I, I want to let you know I'm one of the other six people outside Chris Ryan who desperately wanted that characters and their parents <laughs> chapter. <laughs> yeah, I, I figure there's a few of us out there. That's about it. Though. The other, the other chapter, I guess my one A that, that really, really, uh, I think captivated me was you going in depth on Selena and uh, in terms of. You know, one of the more personal um, sections of the book is you talk about the role that movie plays in helping address certain ways that Mexican Americans feel kind of torn between two cultures. The way you talked about feeling kind of torn, like, and even you were talking about this on Twitter earlier today, where I think you were saying, you know, people hear you speak, you were reacting to someone saying, you don't sound like I thought. And you're like, oh, yeah, because yeah, yeah. white yeah. people tell me I sound too Mexican. Mexicans tell me I, I, I sound, you know, not, not enough. And I think you talk about that tension in this chapter about always feeling the need to be perfect for two different cultures. And I'm just curious, how did that, that film specifically kind of speak to you in, in that personal way? Well, that's exactly what it did. It, it addressed that idea head on. And this is the first time that I had seen it in a movie. Um, even watching it now, this, I mean, this was, this was 1997. So this is uh, uh, over 22 years later. It's still the best exploration of this idea that's ever happened in a movie. But basically you have Edward James almost explaining, he plays the father in the movie, to Selena and to her brother, Jennifer Lopez and Jacob Vargas. They're all riding in a van together. Jennifer Lopez and Jacob Vargas are trying to convince Edward James almost the dad to like book them a gig in Mexico because the opportunity came up and he's like, well, you know, that, that could be kind of tough. And then they're, they're confused why and he's explaining to them uh, that situation. He's explaining as a Mexican American, like the people in Mexico, Mexicans, first generation Mexicans in America are like, they look at you and they go, well, you're not all the way Mexican because you're, you've been here for a while or you speak a little differently. And it's the same way with the Americans. Like, no matter how American you are, uh, somebody will eventually point out that you're Mexican-American, which delegitimizes your American values and virtues, apparently. And when you're a kid, you watch this movie and this, this scene just sort of goes over your head. You're like, whatever. I like the part when she's singing. But when you, you know, the, the older you go, the, fur, the further along in your life you get uh, and you have more of those sorts of exact conversations, you're like, oh, the, you see it again and you, you know, I, I, this guy knows exactly what I'm talking about. I know exactly what this guy is talking about. Um, it's like cool when that, when that happens because it doesn't happen very often for, for us at all. So, you know, we, we finally got one. Um, we got a good actor <laughs> giving, a great, uh, giving a great monologue. Uh, and so we just are, we're holding on to it nice and tight. You're someone who speaks out very passionately against the anti-immigration sentiments that are currently and unfortunately raging. What, what role do you feel like pop culture can potentially play in getting people to feel more empathy on these types of topics? And, and, and you know, I don't have, I'm not going to be Pollyanna about it, that it's going to switch everyone's minds, but are you hopeful that, that movies, culture can... Uh, introduce a new generation to be thinking differently and defy the sort of, again, anti-immigration sentiments that keep popping up? Uh, I don't know that movies are going to do that. Uh, they might help with like a small percentage, but you're talking about, I don't know, you're talking about rowboats on a, on like a speedboat. You know what I'm saying? Right. They might help a tiny bit, but for the most part, that's going to be a conversation fueled by, by other things. Um, 
uh, they they probably owe a certain amount of responsibility to like handle things correctly. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't know exactly how much responsibility you would put on them to carry that forward because then it becomes the like, then you have to reconcile with the other version of that, which is like, you know, what are movies responsible for if they're responsible for that sort of thing? Like, are they responsible mm-hmm. for violence? You know, we get this like an argument pops up every, every time there's like a mass shooting. You're like, Oh, because John wick is a thing. And Kingsman is a thing. Like, that's not, I don't think that's how it works, honestly. No, that's totally fair. I was going to ask you about Den of Thieves uh, and, and its rising stature as a cult classic. Then I saw I just saw yesterday, I think you, you just taped a Rewatchables episode, so I'm sure you'll get all, all into it. But I, I just was curious, as that movie kind of pops up and uh, you know, as you're going through things like your heist movie, uh, you know, Ultimate Crew and stuff like that, what is it about that film that you think is... is makes it worthy of its new status as sort of a all-time kind of cult classic? Well, it's a, it's a little bit campy, but it's also taking itself extremely seriously. Like you watch, <laughs> right. you, you watch a movie, you watch a movie like, uh, I don't know if you ever saw this movie called Shoot 'em Up. So Clive Owen came out in the, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know, like 2007 or something like that. And it was like, a, it was like, there's just this guy running around killing people in like these very ridiculous and silly ways. But, but they were like winking at the camera the whole time. And, uh, Den of Thieves is like, they're doing that with heist movies, except they're not playing around at all. They're being a hundred percent serious. They're like, Oh, do you remember when this happened in this other movie? Let's do that. But like, let's do it bigger and let's do it five times in a row. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so it, it's just one of those movies that's fun to watch. Uh, but also it's like, it's smart enough that you get to unpack a bunch of the, a bunch of the like smaller stuff and the hat tips and, and, uh, and everybody thinks it's like this big gigantic shoot 'em up action movie. There are only two heists in the whole movie. One happened at the very end. And then like the whole last hour of the movie is a, is basically a slow heist until there's a shootout. Um, it's just, it, to me, it's just an interesting movie to watch, but also a movie you can sort of turn your brain off with. And those are usually my favorite kinds of movies. Speaking of that, if I put you in charge of the Fast Furious franchise, how many movies do you make before you put Dom in space? You know what? People have asked me this question a couple of times, and, and, and I, keep, I keep going the other way. I think that the way that you make the Fast franchise like live on further is you, I think you reset. You reset it all. We saw that happen with like, a, uh, we're talking about heist movies. We saw that happen with heist movies, for example. Heist movies had gotten a bit stale because they just kept on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then, um, what's it called the two Logan lucky came out and hell or high water came out. Right. And it was like, we're, we're going the opposite way now we're getting smaller and we're just going to focus in on a small group of people with, you know, slightly with, with smaller stakes. And, and those movies were incredible. I think you do the same thing here. I think you reset the franchise. You go back to street racing uh, you you recenter it around a new character, like we introduce a new character into it. Like uh, the the pitch that I've been giving is, we find out that Dominic Toretto has a half sister, played by Zendaya, mm. and it turns out she's really really good at street racing too. And they end up basically battling each other, and then we get the whole family angle, or whatever. But I think that you do something like that, and it, and it's like, all right, cool, we're starting all over. Let's go that way, rather than. You know, in two movies, we've got The Rock 
uppercutting an active volcano <laughs> you know, like as a, as cars flip over the moon or whatever yeah the, the chances of that of, of them finding a, like a new grounding in that series I, i'm not hopeful for after hobbs and shaw but i i I agree with you. I think they need to do something because the stakes just, I mean, they're like racing a sub in the last one or whatever. Like, where do you go from Yeah. That? Yeah, exactly. I think you let, you let Hobbs and Shaw do all of that big stuff now. You just, you know, turn the rock loose in that sort of playground. And uh, and you go back to back to basics. <laughs> all right. You, you have a chapter on A League of Their Own, a movie I, I really love and cherish. And I think you make the most effective case of anyone I've heard that Dottie threw the World Series. So yeah. how do people how do people greet that? Like how many people do you actually, because I'm of that mindset too. I, and I think you very effectively, I'm not going to spoil it, but you very effectively lay out a case. But how many people do you actually run into that that argue the you know the other viewpoint that, that Kit actually just, just got her? Uh, it doesn't happen in real life. I'm not like a target. <laughs> And be like, oh, hey, by the way, do you remember this movie from 15 years ago? <laughs> Let's talk about it. Um, but it does happen on the internet, especially anytime you tweet about, like if it's on TV, and I'm like, you know, oh, this is on. Somebody will inevitably be like, Dottie didn't drop the ball. Like, unprompted, that's just become a, a conversation to have, which is why I talked a little bit about it um, in there. But it's also why, like, I didn't center the chapter around that. We picked a, we picked a different thing because you always right. want to go the opposite direction. Uh, but it does happen every once in a while. People, I, I think Bill, Bill is actually a person who believes Dottie just got her, which to me is ridiculous. <laughs> I think they give us, they give, they give us enough evidence to prove, to prove otherwise. Uh, if you want just like one specific thing, I think they, they have a scene very early in the movie where Dottie is basically doing the same thing that happens with Kit. She's like crowding the plate. A runner's coming around third. This other runner is much bigger than Kit. She bowls into Dottie. Dottie, there's no chance she's dropping the ball. She's she's a bank ball. She's got it in there. It's not coming out. And she, and the runner is out. And like I'm supposed to believe that Kit, 40 or 50 pounds lighter, is able to jar this ball away from the biggest, most dominant force in the league. Like there's no there's no chance. It just can't happen. Yeah, it was also a tie game at that point, so Dottie could have just gotten her out, and at least Kit's off the hook for blowing, you know, blowing it in the previous half inning. So I, I'm with you. It had to be intentional. I, I love that chapter, and I, I think, um, uh, again, I, I hear you on it's like an internet debate, but it, for 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 someone my age, I, I'm always like, uh, you know, I, I can remember that fondly. Uh, you know, as I let you go yeah. here, one of the things I love about the style of the book is the way that you kind of talk about writing the book. As as you know, the writing is unfolding. Like where you'll say, "Hey, I kind of had this idea, and then I abandoned it, turned it into something else," or "I had this inspiration, I woke my wife up with it." Uh, or why do you think it is that you gravitate toward um, having more of an open conversation about your process within the writing? <laughs> um, it it uh, it's an intentional thing. I want to try and make it seem number one, like we are having a conversation. That's what the book should feel like. It shouldn't feel like. I'm standing up on the mountain, just throwing lightning bolts down at everybody. It should be a you know collaborative process is what it should feel like, and it's hard to do that in a book where the other person can't say anything to you. So I just try to write it, uh, write it in that way. It just makes things more fun. It makes things I don't know feel like more uh, more engaging. Is my is my guess. 
Well, look, uh, the book was great. Um, I, I, you're just in the week one here of the sales, so I'm not going to ask you what's next because I'm sure you're <laughs> you got a long way to go, a lot more <laughs> interviews and stuff. But I, but I, I just want to give you. I mean, you have one of the most passionate fan bases of any media personality, and, and once again, I, you know, like the last two books that you put out. It's it's really kind of awe inspiring to see how many people are rushing to the stores, sharing it with you in social media. How many people like buy extra copies and give them away? What do you have to say about the role your fans have continued to play, rallying around your career and and stepping up in these moments uh, to you know to uh, you know to, to raise awareness for for projects like this? Well, it means a uh, it means a great deal. That none of this stuff works. If- if that part doesn't happen, I could write the best, the most interesting book in the world. If people don't go buy it, then that's the end of my writing career. They're not going to let me write another book. There are, <laughs> there are thousands of books that come out better than mine um, that just don't get the, the same level of support. And so I've seen that happen enough times to know like how grateful I need, I need to be because again, like, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. I, I put the book out. And the first week, we were going to sell tens of thousands of copies. And this is in, in books where, like, if you sell, I don't know, a buddy of mine wrote a book and he sold, whatever, 400 copies in a year. And we're doing, you know, you're telling me we're going to do fucking, I don't know, thousands of copies in a day like that. Just, it doesn't make sense. Uh, <laughs> I'm very, I'm very happy that it happened, though, because... The publishers give me money, and also every few months I get a check in the mail for royalties from people buying the books, and it's just like, what the fuck is going on? This doesn't, I don't understand, but uh, I'm grateful for it. It's like, it's the same way I feel about electricity. I don't know how electricity works, but I'm glad that it does. <laughs> well, that's a good way to sum it up, man. Hey, congratulations again, and we're uh, we're rooting for you. Really appreciate making all the time, and uh, um, maybe we'll have you back for the next one if, you, if, you'll, if you'll put up with us. Yeah, keep inviting me. And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media, they all do interesting things. And then we, the fans, the media tell them, stop being interesting. Go back to watching game film. Be a robot. That is ridiculous. Life is just work and the things that distract us from work. So on this show, I end every podcast by telling you what's been distracting me. And as I mentioned off the top, so look, I like scary movies. I like listening to podcasts about scary movies. I like um, reading deep dive articles. Go back last year at this time. Go listen to the interview with Sean Fennessy from The Ringer about uh, his horror movie Oscars, one of my personal favorite interviews that I've been able to do uh, since uh, the show became a solo venture. I just like talking about scary movies. And I've seen almost all of the mainstay ones. I like the old school slasher ones more than even stuff coming out today. I mean, if you, if you, if you want to sit down with me tonight and say, do you want to watch The Babadook or do you want to watch some new prestige horror, Midsommar? I'd be like, I don't know. I've got... Jason lives on DVD. It's not going to look great on my TV, but you want to roll with that? (laughs) And you're going to be like, please stop. So over the years in distractions, I think I've given you my all-time rankings of Hellraisers, Friday the 13th, and Nightmare on Elm Street. 
And with Shay coming on and us talking about Michael Myers, it, it's almost Halloween season. My, my daughters are peppering me with uh, costume suggestions, family group costume suggestions coming from them that I am not aligned with, that is going to be a debate, that is going to be an argument, that is going to be an argument that I lose with both my wife and my daughters. But we will cross that bridge when we come. Stay tuned for a future distraction in a few, week, a few weeks on that. All right, so right now I'm going to give you my rankings of Halloween movies. And normally you'd start like at the bottom and work your way up. I mean, but who are we fooling, right? The original Halloween is an all-time masterpiece. If you made a list of the greatest movies of all time, it might crack that at some point in the 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever. Basically redefine the slasher genre. I would argue the best score still of any slasher movie. It's really up there with like Psycho... Elm Street. I mean, I think the Friday the 13th music is actually underrated because of the, everyone knows the stuff, but it's actually, it's fast stuff is actually really interesting in some scenarios where they use it. But the Halloween shit is totally iconic. Uh, You're not going to beat that. Anyway, we all know that's number one, so that's where we're going to start. Number two, potentially unpopular opinion. I'm going to roll with the 2018... Halloween. As one podcast, I think it was the, the podcast Halloweenies uh, by Consequence of Sound called it the uh, uh, Halloween because <laughs> David Gordon Green and Danny McBride did it. Look, if you're into the mythos and into some of the fundamentals of the franchise, this may not be the movie for you. It it does take things in a little bit of a different direction and it does do a lot of homage work if you can call it that, and or ripping off of previous movies, which some fans who really appreciate like the original Halloween 2 or some of the other later sequels kind of don't like just seeing the better moments of that sort of repurposed here in a scrapbook of, of Halloween. That said, in the same way that Star Wars Force Awakens is not necessarily the greatest movie of all time, but just kind of like gets it, it kind of like gets how to make a sequel to the original Star Wars, I think this movie is the spiritual sequel to the original Halloween. Stylistically, it's interesting. It looks serious, even though it doesn't always take itself super serious. And I enjoyed it a lot. And what more do you want, man? Jamie Lee Curtis kicking ass, which brings me to number three, which is Halloween 2, which now we're getting really confusing, I know, because the other one was actually technically Halloween 2, but it's also just called Halloween, which means, uh, yeah, So number three in my series, Halloween 2 from 1981, I think. Now, this movie probably is better than you want to believe. It's got some really interesting kills, like the hot tub kill, which is totally gratuitous. (laughs) He, like, burns this lady in a hot tub when he could just, like, drown her in the hot tub or just strangle her, but whatever. The problem is it, like, kind of neuters Lori to a certain degree, and then introduces this sister subplot, which I never bought into. That's one of the reasons I like the second Halloween, because they just kind of retcon that out. I don't necessarily need it. Um, you know, I, whatever. His sister, not his sister, it, it, it played such a big part in H2O, which we'll get to much, 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 much later in this list, list which is also much, much, much later than someone like Shea Serrano wants to, uh, wants to hear it. So, yeah, Halloween 2, worth, worthwhile. Number four, oh, Synergy, Halloween 4, the uh, return of Michael Myers. This one you would know from being the one where all of a sudden they introduce some sort of niece little girl that runs around for a while. 
But the best part is the a spoiler <laughs> for a thirty year old movie. The best part is when they introduce her as potentially the killer at the end, which I think is a really funny line and so over the top. Doctor Loomis being like, "No, no." <laughs> I mean, I am here for that, Doctor Loomis. Okay, number five, though, very quickly going to Revenge of Michael Myers, which is the sequel that kind of undoes that entire subplot after that. So right now we're really like it's a, it's a huge sliding scale at this point down in quality. Number six is uh, Halloween three, the one without Michael Myers It's actually kind of an entertaining premise and interesting movie, but it is definitely up higher on my list because it's just I mean, there's no Michael Myers in it. It's just a random sort of quasi anthology story about Halloween and masks that make your head into bugs. It's a movie called season of the witch with no witch. And it's a Halloween sequel with no Michael Myers. And it's a story basically of a drunk doctor trying to be a detective. So if you're going to watch this movie, which I recommend go watch or go listen to the, we hate movies or the, how did this get made podcast episodes about this movie? Because this movie as a movie is much more fun if you're just making fun of it. And I think those podcasts do a great job making fun of this. Number seven, Resurrection with Busta Rhymes. Shane and I broke this down. Busta Rhymes, I mean, kicking the shit out of Michael Myers. Good for you, man. Number eight, H2O. Again, Shane and I talked about this. The Bedhead, the Jamie sister subplot. Get out of here. And I know Resurrection has the worst Jamie Lee stuff because of that whole intro series. But at least that's over in five seconds. I got to watch the rest of this movie in California, not even Haddonfield. Um, it's just ridiculous. Number nine and number 10, the Rob Zombie Halloweens. Pick your order. I don't care. These were, if the David Gordon Green sort of reboot was interesting to me, this was like, let's take all the interesting stuff and just make it like, hey, look, Michael's killing, as a, as a teen, Michael killed chipmunks. I mean, who who cares? And I'm not going to get into my feelings about Rob Zombie as a filmmaker right now, but let's just say I'm not going to be contributing to his next eight Patreon slash Kickstarter movies, okay? Uh, I've, I've seen my fill of the zombie universe. Finally, number 11, which you know, coming in at the rear here is Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. This one's the one that introduces... He's like... Much like the way that Freddy in Nightmare on Elm Street ultimately became like a host for weird demons and Jason became the host for like these weird slug monsters. All of a sudden, Michael Myers is just sort of like a vessel for some sort of like curse. Also, Paul Rudd is in this movie. <laughs> like before he's Paul Rudd, he's in this movie. Come on, man. No. As the guys on We Hate Movies say, I think I think it's Eric Siska that says, leave these movies in the 80s. If you're going to reboot this stuff from now on, I would just say go like starting in 1980, make 10 movies that go to 89. But any movie that exists in the 90s from this franchise, I'm sorry, not going to be high on my list. There you go. Halloween movie rankings. Want to end the show with some shout outs. Shout out to Shea Serrano coming back on, talking about his new book on movies, movies and other things, talking about his opinions on movies, how he keeps his enthusiasm, the joy of watching movies with his kids, uh, highly recommend making movie night part of your family ritual if that's your jam. 
But really appreciate you. Again, lifelong indebted to Shay for coming on this podcast before we were even out, giving us some validity, uh, driving his fans to us. Really appreciate that. And uh, takes me back to the time when we were just starting this show. And uh, I thought I might actually make money off of it. <laughs> that did not happen. Um, but yeah, go buy his book. It's on Amazon. It's in bookstores. There's like an exclusive edition in Barnes & Noble, I believe. Don't quote me on that, but swing by, pick it up uh, for your family and friends. And, and follow Shay on Twitter. He's one of the most entertaining, interesting follows on Twitter. His fan base, his army of loyal listeners and followers uh, are so passionate on, on that feed as well. And thank you for tuning in. Follow us on Just Not Sports on Twitter, Instagram. Listen to us. Subscribe, rate, and review on, on, on Apple Pods. Listen to us on SoundCloud. Luminary. We're on Luminary now. And uh, hit me up on an email, justnotsports at gmail.com if you have questions for me. And in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers, stay booty. Right